0: Father God, we come before you this afternoon, this first day of the year, wanting to remember to seek first your kingdom and your righteousness and all the other things that we might be concerned about, Lord, will be added unto us in the way that you know is right. What we really need is you. And so we ask, Lord, for you to bless this time as we study your word. Lord, would you help us to hear and to receive and to obey. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, Happy New Year. It's good to be with all of you. Um, it is the very first day of the year, which felt kind of strange. I don't know why, but it feels like I haven't had this experience of the New Year's Day being on Sunday all that often in my life. I guess it happens every seven years or so, but it feels like a, a special thing. And with it being New Year's and um, being the pastor and sitting up here in front, I, I felt like I needed to maybe explain. Uh, I-, I looked like I took a swig of something before I came up. It was actually Listerine, okay? I'm not like, uh, I don't have like hard liquor right before I preach or anything like that. Uh, I don't know if you were thinking that, but I felt kind of self-conscious sitting up front that maybe you would have had the wrong um, impression. So that was just Listerine. I have a canker sore. I'm just trying to get through the sermon with that. Um, it's good to be with all of you. It's good to be here on the first day of the year. It feels like a lot can change in 12 months, I think back to 2022, and it really feels like a, a long time ago, the beginning of last year. And as I get older, though I'm not that old, each year that goes by, I feel like what, what sticks with me is just how quickly the pace goes of how things change, right? Things are just changing in a rapid manner, and it's harder and harder to keep up with it the older I get. Um, but I still try, or right? I still try to remain relevant. And so in light of this sermon, I, I went online and I decided to try out this new thing I've been hearing about. It's called ChatGPT. You guys know what that is? It's an AI that uh, talks with you. It's a chat bot. It's supposed to be uh, really uh, amazing and kind of um, being able to generate this content in response to your questions or your chats. And so I asked ChatGPT, I said, what are the most common New Year resolutions for people, And this is what uh, the chat bot said. It said, number one, losing weight and improving physical health. Number two, getting organized. Number three, quit smoking, got its whole own number. Number four, reduce stress. Number five, improve relationships. Number six, learn a new skill. Number seven, save money. Number eight, travel more. Number nine, volunteer more. Number 10, get a better job. So in your opinion, how did the artificial intelligence do. Pretty spot on with what you all have been thinking. When I heard this list, when I read it, I felt validated a bit because the truth is this is where my mind normally goes every new year. Right? These are the things that I tend to think towards, how to make my life, especially my physical life, better. And I was just remarking to my wife a few days ago that we are, are past the point where our bodies are, are getting healthier and stronger. We need to make sure that from this point, as we go downhill, that the, the drop-off isn't super steep. Whether you are a member of this church or a visitor this morning or this afternoon, a Christian or unbeliever, I'm going to assume that it being the first of the year, that you maybe share this desire to make your physical life better, to make your life healthier. And I'm not here to deride that. It's a good goal. It's one we would do well to pursue. But being New Year's Day, what I am here to say is that as Christians, this impulse to be healthy needs to go further than we think this first Sunday of the year, this first day before we return to our normal program through 2 Samuel, what I want to do is invite us as a church to take that natural feeling of wanting to be healthy and to move beyond the physical. To not simply stop at making sure our bodies are in a good or better place by 2024, but to consider whether we are doing what we need to do to make sure our souls are in a good place as well. Why? Well, it's because of what Jesus says in Matthew Chapter 4, verse 4, which is our text for this afternoon. You can turn there with me if you have your Bibles. Matthew, chapter 4, verse 4. One verse Jesus says, It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. It's a simple sentence. Loaded with meaning, it's a familiar verse, one we may skip over time and time again. But Jesus says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes or proceeds from the mouth of God. And so what we're going to do this afternoon is take some time, uh, a bit, to look at this passage, to go beyond the physical, to examine how the word of God is what we really need to live truly healthy lives. We're in the book of Matthew Chapter 4, as we look at these verses, we're going to break it up into three questions we're going to answer together. The first being, what do we really need to live? Question 1, what do we really need to live? Now, in order to understand and apply Jesus' words from Matthew 4-4 to our lives, we need to look at the context. This is how we study scriptures. We need to examine the context of any given phrase or verse that someone throws our way. And so the context of this famous statement that Jesus made is Matthew 4. If you look at the title in your Bibles, it will say, The Temptation of Jesus. And so if we read from verse 1, we can read it together. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. The context of these verses show us something. This statement from Christ is a rebuttal to a temptation from the devil, from Satan, that told him to ask these stones to become loaves of bread, to command them, rather, and to do this. And what does this show us about the statement Jesus made? It shows us that oftentimes our spiritual lives and and the battles we find ourselves in are a battle of not really knowing what we need. See, if you're paying attention to this passage, the verses make explicit that Jesus' statement... Man does not live on bread alone. happens in a time in his life when he was hungrier than he had ever been. You guys see that? Verse 2 says, after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was incredibly hungry. If I could paraphrase it, he was starving. Now, you might say, well, the passage doesn't say he was starving to death. doesn't say he was incredibly hungry. But this is what it means. When I was in junior high or middle school, I had a pastor at my church who decided to do a 40-day fast. Now, he, he did drink water, and he did drink some limited liquids on the weekends, but he decided to do a 40-day fast. And he wasn't publicizing it, okay? He wasn't out there saying, I'm going to go do this amazingly long fast. But what happened is by, like, day 24, the people in the church thought he was dying. Like, literally, we, we saw him on stage, and we're like, something's wrong with this guy. And so the deacons of the church had to go ask him, what's going on? Are you okay, pastor? Because if you fast for 40 days, you get hungry. You get incredibly hungry to the point where this is all you can think about. And this is the context of what Jesus says. Jesus was fully man. Jesus needed food and sleep and water as much as we do. He was quite literally starving. And it is in the context of this great physical need that Satan says, command these loaves to become bread. Just do that and you will fulfill that hunger. Jesus says, no, man shall not live by bread alone but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. The context of this is astounding. You know, Jesus doesn't say this when he is reclining at table with his disciples. He did that a lot in scriptures. He reclined at table with his disciples. He went to many dinner parties, but that's not when he says this. He doesn't say this on a normal day after they had done a hard day's work. He says that at a point in his life when he actually physically needs bread. When he needs bread, perhaps more than he had ever needed it. And it lets us know just how radical this perspective, this statement is. You see, this isn't how we naturally think. This isn't how we naturally go about in the world. It's not just that we don't know what we really need. What we naturally think is what we really need are the things of the world. That's just how we function, right? If I were to ask you this first day of the year, what do you think you really need for 2023 you might answer in in these ways a better marriage a better job a healthier body and none of those things are wrong to have but what this text asks us to consider is whether they are what we truly need you know one of the interesting things about the temptation of christ the first temptation here if you think about it satan didn't ask jesus to do something that was unlawful He said, command these stones to become loaves of bread. And there's nothing against the law of God in that temptation. There's nothing you would say off the bat as, oh, of course that would be a sinful thing to do. In fact, if you think about it more, Jesus actually did supernaturally create bread for people to eat, including himself, multiple times during his ministry on earth. So what is this temptation about? What is Satan trying to do? John MacArthur writes this about The temptation. He says the point of temptation is not in feeding his hunger. The point of temptation is in distrusting his father. That's the point. And I would add it's not just distrusting his father, but thinking that he needed to fulfill his hunger according to Satan's way and not according to the will of God. And so let me start again here. We all come into this year thinking, We need something. What is it? What do you think you need? For so many of us, those things are simply physical things. But what must come first? Every word that comes from the mouth of God. The temptation that we have as another year goes and another year comes is to make our lives and even our church about the things that seem so pressing in our lives, but not about the word of God. And it simply comes down to whether or not we understand what we really need. Even more so when things are tough. I mean, how many of us have had the thought, I would love to to know more about God. I would love to be in my Bible if only my kids weren't so crazy. If only work weren't so busy for this season, if only I didn't need to clean the house, or if only I weren't going through this suffering, if only I didn't have to prepare for that presentation or balance my finances, if only I weren't so hungry, I could finally listen to God's word. And we need to see that this is the temptation that Satan gives Christ. This is the temptation that in our contemplation of what we need, we don't look to God. It's so ingeniously demonic. There are things that God has made us to need. Make no mistake, the Bible is clear about that. We do need food. We do need sleep. We do need rest. We do need relationships. We need a lot of things, okay? But all Satan has to do is get us to think that bread or sex or friends or money is actually the most important or only thing we need. What does Jesus say? Man shall not live on bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. In a time when he needed bread or he would physically die, Jesus says that man is meant to live on the words of God. Now, I'm not trying to be legalistic, but it is an issue of whether or not you understand what you need. I'm encouraged often by my wife who finds time to be in the word even when our kids are going crazy, even when we are busy in a much better way than I do. And, and it's not simply saying I need to do this thing or else God will be displeased with me. But it is with the understanding that though all these things in my life are happening, what I truly need to live is the words that God has given. And if I need it, I will prioritize it. As someone once said anonymously, but famously, If it's truly important to you, you will make the time. So all this to say in the context of this passage in Matthew 4, the priority we need is the Word of God. It's not just for when our lives are going perfectly fine, but especially if you look at this year and you see there are challenges before you, then you need the Word of God. If your marriage is in a harder place than it's ever been before, you need the word of God. If you are struggling with raising your children and the difficulties and pains and trials that they have, you need the word of God. For those of you struggling with contentment in your job and wanting a change and, or maybe contentment with your singleness or your financial difficulty, what do you need? Not a change to those circumstances first, but you need the word of God. And this is something that is easy perhaps to say in church, but sometimes hard to believe. There's so much temptation to believe the opposite. But this is what we need. Why? What will happen? Will it just fix our problems miraculously if I just get to my Bible every day? Well, not exactly. So to answer that question, we need to go deeper into the statement of Jesus and find out exactly what he means by live. So question number two, what is truly living? What is truly? Truly living. Turn with me in your Bibles back to Deuteronomy chapter 8. Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 8. And if you don't know, when Jesus responded to the temptations of the devil in the wilderness, he always quoted from the Old Testament. Deuteronomy chapter 8 is where we first read these words, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So we're going to go back and find out what this passage was all about. Um, but if you were to really think about this statement at face value, you might have some questions right? In fact, it might even sound ludicrous. If you were someone who never had read the Bible, never stepped foot in church, this is maybe your first or second time in a Christian context. If you heard, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God, you might be rightly confused. A few years ago, I watched a documentary on Netflix called Cooked. Some of you may have watched it. It's a documentary just about food and, and how humans like to eat. Um, and in part of this documentary, they quoted a food scientist at UC Davis named Bruce German, and this is what he said. If I gave you a bag of flour and water, you could live on it for a while, but eventually you would die. But if you took that same bag of flour and water and you baked it into bread, you could live indefinitely. Scientifically speaking, you can live off of bread for a long time. Bread is kind of the, the the bedrock of civilization in a sense. Bread is a miracle food. You just make this stuff from flour, water, a little bit of yeast and heat, and civilization will flourish. So it seems scientifically that Jesus is wrong. You can live on bread alone. So I guess just pack it up, right? Don't read the Bible anymore. Jesus doesn't have his PhD in food science. No. What gives If we're going to understand this, we need to understand what Jesus meant by the word live. We've spoken before at this church about how there are many Greek words for life. Many words that uh, in ancient Koine Greek, New Testament Greek, would be used for the word life. The word translated live here is the Greek word zao, which is the verb form of the Greek word zoe. might sound familiar to you. That's the name of our church, Zoe Community Church. Now the word zoe or the verb zao is not a word that speaks about physical sustenance, okay? It's not about just being alive. It's not a word that talks about the soul or the mind. It is a word, especially in the New Testament, that is best translated true life. True life. To zao is more than to be alive. It is to truly live. And so when Jesus says to Satan in the wilderness, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God, that's what he's talking about. Not surviving. Truly living as we were meant to live. Being New Year's Day, I'm reminded of some of the funny New Year's in my uh, history, and one of the weirdest times that my wife Trish and I ever had was when we were in New Year, uh, we were in New York City for New Year's Eve and New Year's Day. And I had this uh, terrible plan to um, fly back on New Year's Day to save money. Okay, I thought this would be great, I'll save a few hundred bucks and so we'll fly back, but Part of that plan required us to fly out of Newark Airport, okay? So if you don't know anything about New York City, you'll know that Newark Airport is not in New York City. You have to take a train to get there. Our flight was around 6 a.m. on New Year's Day, and so we took the train at approximately 4 a.m. out of New York City on New Year's Day, and you can imagine what kind of people were on the train. It was weird, okay? Honestly, and I, I don't exaggerate at all, there were literally no workers in sight, no one was being paid enough to deal with this because there was no workers at Penn Station. There was no workers on the train that I saw. I hope there was someone conducting. Um, but we, we were, we got on there and it was just a mass of drunk people, right? People who weren't up early, but had not yet gone to sleep. And, and in this kind of hour and a half of travel that, that took, that we took to get there, we saw all these like altercations. We saw people tripping over one another. We saw people uh, piling up in, in just kind of bundles of people at the bottom of the escalator. It was really scary. It was crazy. But we survived. And as I was looking at the people around us, not a single employee in sight, it was like a zombie apocalypse, okay? There was all these people who were alive, but they weren't really living, at least not in that moment you guys know what I'm talking about? This is just a one-day, you know, New Year's Day. You had a lot of fun the night before. But so many people in the world live this way. They're alive. They're, they're, they're going through life. They're, they're following the crowd, but they're not really living. You can survive on bread and wine alone. That's what the people of the ancient Near East ate and drank almost every single day. But surviving on bread is not the same as truly living, not according to God. See, to truly live is to follow the will of our Heavenly Father. To obey his words no matter the circumstances. Deuteronomy 8 is where I had you turn. We'll look at it. Verses 1 through 4. Moses is speaking. He says, The whole commandment that I command you today you shall be careful to do, that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land that the Lord swore to give to your fathers, and you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, what you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. This context is going to help us Think about what it means to truly live. What is Deuteronomy about? It's essentially a very long sermon by Moses to the nation of Israel, those who had grown up in the wilderness after they left Egypt and were about to head into the promised land. And all that time that they were in the wilderness, what they did every day was eat manna and quail. In chapter 8, we see the statement about man not living by bread alone, but by the word of God. And it is a reference to the lesson of that manna that they ate every single day day. When the people came into the wilderness, if you aren't familiar with the story, they were really hungry, right? Even though they were slaves in Egypt, they had a lot to eat. They had plenty of vegetables and spices and stuff. So they were missing that. They were complaining about it to God and to Moses. And God said he would feed them. So one day in the morning, he sent them manna. What the Bible says is it was a light bread-like thing that came with the morning dew, but would fade away by the time the sun was bright. And so this food that God gave them, it was strange, okay? It's not just like he gave them bread every day, normal bread. He gave them this manna, which was translated, what is it? They didn't know what it was. No one had ever eaten it before. And it was the most unphysical kind of food you could eat and survive on, right? It faded away by the time the sun came out. It was something that, that, that wouldn't last. It was something that was so ethereal, it barely kept them alive. And God did it that way on purpose. God wanted them to only eat enough for the day. And then the next day to have to trust in him and go out and collect some more manna again. And what Moses says is that this experience they had was a 40 year long object lesson for the people of God. That they are not simply to add God to their lives when it is convenient. Rather, they are to live each and every day fully dependent on him. Fully trusting him, fully obedient to him, needing him to survive, so that man, they would know man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. See, God could have just sent them into the land where they would have plenty of bread and plenty of food and drink and crops. But he did this because he knew that if they received his blessings, but weren't seeking him, they would miss truly living as his people. You know, we miss so often the fact that what God wants for us is good. That our Heavenly Father wants us to live these lives of faith, not just to test us, which is part of it, but so that through that testing, we might have endurance and discover that life according to God's will and word is the best. Sometimes in my life, I'll hear someone say something along the lines of, If I start my day off with some scripture, then my day just goes better, right? It's as if the word of God is a cup of coffee. And I'm not saying that's not true. That doesn't help out on how you feel each day. But when Jesus says something as incredible as we live by the words that come from the mouth of God, it's not about a little bit of Jesus in the morning. It's much more than that. To truly live means to make your life about seeking God knowing him, obeying his word, desiring to honor and please him, and then knowing you have peace with God. Your decisions are done in prayer. Your priorities are set by his word. Your emotions, your responses to living in a fallen world, they're guided by what the Bible says is true. We trust him and we live according to his word and we truly live. You see, this is what the Bible says it means to truly live, to know God and Jesus Christ, whom he has sent. As Christians, if you are a Christian, all the things that we really need are ours in Jesus Christ. This isn't talking about the physical things per se, not about riches, not about comfort. doesn't mean every physical blessing I've ever wanted is now given to me. But what does Paul say? We have been blessed in Christ with every spiritual blessing In the heavenly places. And this seems maybe a little bit like ethereal to you, like you can't touch it, you don't understand what that means. But understand this is what we actually truly need. More and more so, our culture is becoming a culture where people have given up on life and meaning. You guys know that, especially in the younger generation, there is kind of an embrace of the absurdity that nothing matters in life, that I might as well just end it now if I don't feel good because it really doesn't make a difference. J.I. Packer, in his book, Knowing God, wrote this, the world becomes a strange, mad, painful place and life in it a disappointing and unpleasant business for those who do not know about God disregard the study of god and you sentence yourself to stumble and blunder through life blindfolded as it were with no sense of direction and no understanding of what surrounds you this way you can waste your life and lose your soul and this is exactly what we see all around us sometimes this is exactly what we struggle with in our own hearts We lose sense of what it is we're even here for. And yet the Bible gives us that clear direction. We have faith and hope and love and peace, forgiveness, acceptance, reconciliation, eternal security, and our names written in the book of life. And this shows us what we're supposed to live for. When Jesus said, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God, he wasn't talking about feeling good because you read the Bible that morning. He's talking about something more. Right? Feeling alive, knowing your purpose, because you are not here on earth as an accident, living in a pointless, absurd universe. There is a God who made you and knows you, and he has a purpose for your life, to glorify him according to his word and his way. The word of God, the Bible, tells us how to truly live. If we love God and we love one another and we know God and know ourselves, we can live a good life. In Romans 15, Paul talks about how the scriptures do this. He says, whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. We might have hope. So you think about your life and the things you naturally feel like you need maybe to change or to improve this year, maybe areas in which you have felt hopeless. But what you really need is the word of God. And to truly live means you might have hope even in those circumstances that you can have God himself. We have at the tips of our fingers the words of God that can strengthen us and encourage us to hope in him and to know our creator. It's so easy for us to miss out on the big picture when we simply look at the physical things in our life. And yet if we are God's people, if you have believed in Christ, put your faith in him, then you know the most amazing thing. God loves you and he is at work in this world and in your life. This leads us to the final point. This afternoon, if we understand what we really need and we understand what Jesus meant by truly living, being to know God, then we have to ask, how can we actually experience it? Okay, question number three, the last question, how do we experience this? You know, if you talk to Christians, um, people who lived by faith a long time, people who are later in their life. One thing you recognize about those who really have a vibrant faith, who are uh, really living it out, is that those who, who, who have this type of faith have an experience of God. And I don't mean that in some weird charismatic way of speaking in tongues necessarily or something strange like that. I'm talking about the fact that they have experienced the truth of God's word in their life as they have lived it out. We look at the next few verses in Deuteronomy 8. It helps us understand how the people of Israel We're supposed to experience God. Starting in verse 3, Deuteronomy 8, 3. And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothing did not wear out on you, and your foot did not swell these 40 years. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, the Lord your God disciplines you. So you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God by walking in his ways and by fearing him. Here's what I want to focus on. In verse 5, God says that he taught them this lesson. He made them know this so that they would know in their heart that God disciplines his people for disobedience and blesses them for obedience, Know from experience deep down that to disobey the Lord leads to suffering, but to obey him leads to life. And this is what Jesus is modeling for us when he said again in Matthew 4, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. What you really need to live the blessed life is the word of God. And not just to hear it and not just to know it, Not just to read it, but to obey it. We're thinking about bread and all that. We've talked about it a lot. Do you know where bread first appears in the Bible? It appears all the way back in Genesis chapter 3. Genesis 3, after Adam and Eve have sinned and and, and they're going through this kind of cursing on the world, God says in Genesis 3.19, "...by the sweat of your face you shall eat bread." till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken. For you are dust, and to dust you shall return. So bread doesn't show up till after they've been kicked, or at least till they're about to be kicked out of the garden. doesn't show up till after they've sinned and kind of ruined God's perfect world in Eden. But prior to bread, what were they supposed to eat? Well, the Bible says God commanded them, you can eat from every tree and plant in this garden and from the fruit as well. You see, what the Bible shows us, even from the beginning, is that bread is something that we eat in a fallen world to survive. But before that, before the fall, before sin came in, how did we live? We lived by obeying God's word. Eating of the trees he told us to eat. You see, what the Bible says is we were made to live for God. To obey him, but not just to obey him to walk with him. That's what Adam and Eve did in the garden. You remember they walked with God in the cool of the day? And even after they were kicked out of the garden, throughout the course of human history, there have been people who by their obedience walked with God. That's an incredible thing. That in this fallen world, you can actually walk with God. You can live, you can walk with him in the way you were supposed to by knowing and obeying the word. That's what the Bible has been teaching from the get-go, and Jesus showed us in his own temptation. So when there is a conflict between our natural appetites and even needs and the word of God, we know who we need to serve. So that when you make choices in your life this year, you do so with the faith to believe that when you obey God, you are choosing the far better thing And when you choose the better thing by the grace of God, you receive that which is best, walking with God himself. I think this is what we need to hear today as individuals and especially as a church. You know, most churches would tell you, would give lip service, would say on their website that you ought to obey the Bible. You ought to obey the word of God, right? Most people wouldn't disagree with that, And yet I fear that even though we would say it, so many Christians don't actually believe it. You know, the writer to Hebrews, he said something interesting. He said that some Christians remain immature and childlike as Christians because they have not moved on to maturity by learning from constant practice how to distinguish good from evil. It's kind of weird, right? What was he saying? He's saying that some Christians who are Christians, they never mature because they haven't learned to walk According to righteousness, to obey the word of God. They're not experiencing anything in their life because they're not listening and obeying the word. Now, don't get me wrong. This isn't about works, righteousness. It's not about making yourself um, holy before God so he will accept you into heaven. No, Jesus does that. The gospel is good news that we have been freed from sin, not by anything we have done. Christ did it alone. He died the death we deserve. But the good news continues on. For those who put our faith in Him, we can live, we can live as people who are slaves to righteousness. Growing in our holiness. Learning through trials in life to no longer turn back to sin like we used to. But right? when things are hard, we don't just do what we used to do as, as, as fleshly people. We turn instead to the words of God. We don't live by whatever alone. We live by every word that proceeds from his mouth. And this is the blessed life. Not without persecution, not without pain and sorrow, not without difficulty. The Bible doesn't promise us a life without some hard thing, but those who live by the Word of God are promised life with God himself. Again, J.I. Packer in that book, which we gave to a lot of you when you became members, he says, There is no peace like the peace of those Whose minds are possessed with full assurance that they have known God and God has known them, and that this relationship guarantees God's favor to them in life through death and forever. As a church, to kind of wrap things up, one of the things we said early on was that we wanted those who came to Zoe Church to know God's word and experience true life. Seven years into the church. It still has to be the heartbeat of our ministry. There are a lot of other things we're thinking about, right? We're thinking about expansion and, and getting a building and, and how do we deal with more people and more ministries. But in the center, it has to be about knowing God's word so we can experience that true life, Jesus says. We live in a place and time where there is no shortage of Bibles, no shortage of people who will tell you Jesus loves you and even no shortage of churches that will tell you Jesus died for your sins. But it seems to me we have a great shortage of Christians who know in their heart the key to living the blessed life is to know and believe and obey God's word. Doesn't mean your life will be easier, but it will be infinitely better. So how do we experience this true life that Jesus promises for us? We hear and we obey, even when it is hard. In James 1, 25, James, the brother of Jesus, says, But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. He will be blessed in his doing. Do you understand how amazing that is, how how powerful that is? He will be blessed in his doing. You see, if you are blessed in your good health, then you can only be joyful when you are healthy. And if you are blessed in your family relationships, then you can only be happy if your least happy child is happy. If you are blessed in your finances, then if 2023 is just like 2022, you're not going to be very secure and joyful. But if you are blessed in your doing of the word, That no matter what happens, no matter the circumstances, no matter the trial you are in, you can have the blessing of knowing God and all you need is his word. Because you'll be blessed in the doing. A few chapters later in Matthew 7, Jesus said, Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them is like a man who built his house on the rock. Experience is one of the best teachers. Anyone would tell you that. And Jesus invites us to experience in our own lives the immeasurable blessings of knowing and obeying God's word. Know God's word, experience true life. When we last said that almost five years ago, I said I wasn't going to beat you over the head with it. I wasn't going to put on all the swag or something. Because it's not what you need to say. It's what we need to live to know in our heart that God's way, according to God's word, is actually the best. So how do we start? Where do we go from here? It's the first day of 2023. How do you go from being in a place where you may have neglected God's word to beginning to truly live according to it? Well, here are just a few suggestions. One, maybe it means making a commitment to being at church to take in the word of God on a regular basis to make sure you are with believers who are hearing and believing and obeying the word of God together. So you can encourage one another by it on a daily basis, being able to encourage each other by the weekly receiving of God's word. Being here because missing the preaching of God's word is worse than missing leg day or whatever other thing you're afraid to miss. Second, maybe you need to start learning what the Bible says about the things in life that you take for granted. So what does the Bible say about money, about sex, about work, about marriage, about friends? What does the Bible say about any of these things that you're naturally thinking about? So much of our lives are entangled by sin because we don't even know about what the Bible says. There are books that explain it from Scripture, uh, even simple websites that will help explain those things from the Word of God. I encourage you to use those tools. Right? How are you going to talk to your children about gender identity if you don't know what the Bible says? How are you going to respond to someone falsely accusing you if you don't know what Jesus says to do in that exact situation? Start learning what the Bible says about the things that are happening in your life right now. Or maybe it's making it a commitment to just memorize a verse of scripture, a passage with a brother or sister here at church. Verses that deal with an area of life that you are struggling with, but maybe they are strong in. There are verses about honesty about sexual sin, about humility, about prayer, about generosity. These are real ways where we can begin to obey the word of God and experience that true life. Lastly, maybe some of you want to just read the Bible, maybe for the first time, maybe to get back to intaking God's word regularly, every word that God has given to us in the scriptures. If so, then what we're going to do this year, and this is just a practical thing, is we're going to do a Bible in a year reading plan with some of the people at church. You can go online to the website. It's going to be right there on the front page. It's just um, about 25 days a month you'll be reading. So there are a few days off that you can kind of pick up if you fall behind. But we can do this plan together as a church. And you can read with us starting today. Right? It's kind of nice that it's the first day of the year. So there's no excuses. Right? You didn't miss anything. Start tonight, 6 p.m. Go online and just begin to read the words that proceed from the mouth of God. Read it, and every time you see God instructing us to do something, try to obey. And if you have questions about how to understand it, well, Pastor Jesse will be reading along with you, so go ahead and text him. If this will be a good year, it must be a year in which we experience and taste and see that God is good, and it's his words that we truly need. Christ said in his great hunger... Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. What are the things that you think you need? Do you realize what you truly need is God's word? What does it mean to truly live? Do you realize it means to know God? And if so, how will you begin to experience this true life? By knowing and doing and sharing the Word of God, every word that proceeds from his mouth it's a big idea, it's a huge idea, it's incredible, but by the grace of God, it's amazingly right here. Every word that proceeds from the mouth of God is in your hands. One of the most influential men of the early church was Augustine of Hippo. He was a bishop in the early church. Um and I'll just tell you the story as we close to encourage us. He was a man who was really well-educated. So early on in his life, his mother had become a Christian, but he didn't want to have anything to do with it. And this was pretty early on in the church, right? 300s A.D. And so he grew up and he, he was educated by the world. He became a philosopher in the world's eyes. He was well-respected in that kind of area of learning. And he also lived a life... Of the world, according to his flesh, pursuing the things that his body in his flesh wanted to pursue. But the Lord began to take hold of him in his late twenties, as he was getting to be a older man. The Lord took hold of him, and one day uh, he was struggling with uh, kind of this desire to to seek God, but also desire to live for himself. And he was wrestling with it, and during that wrestling, he was overcome with this sense of guilt an unbearable guilt over his sin, where he realized that even though he claimed to want to know God, there was this, this, this deep darkness inside of him that really wanted to disobey. As he felt the guilt of his sin wash over him, he began to cry and weep and wanted to withdraw from the presence of God itself. But as he was in that state of conviction, he heard the voice of a small child calling out from a courtyard over the wall. And and she was singing in a sing-songy voice in Latin these words, take up and read. Take up and read. And this is the famous story in Western civilization. He had been holding near him a copy of the book of Romans. And so he took it as a message from God. Take up and read, that he should do exactly as she had sung. And so he picked up the Bible and he opened it, and he came to Romans thirteen fourteen where he read, The words, put on then the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh. And by the grace of God, as he read, he listened and he obeyed and he began to live. Brothers and sisters, those of you who are with us, maybe as guests, if you're just visiting this morning or maybe you're preparing to say goodbye, what else can we say? But these are the words of eternal life. So take up and read. And Lord willing, that is what we will do as a church. And God willing, by these words, we will live. Let's pray. Father God, we ask for your grace. We know, Lord, that we are sinful. We know, Lord, that we deserve condemnation for the millions of ways in which we have rejected you in our lives, and yet because of your great love, and because of your grace and your mercy, you sent Jesus Christ to live a perfect life and to die on the cross for our sins, to take the punishment we deserve and to rise again. Lord, for those of us here who are Christians, we rejoice in that. We've placed our faith in him, and because of that, we are your people. Would you help us to know that as your people, What we need to live is dependence on you, to follow you, to hear your words, to obey them each and every day. Would you remind us that of all the physical and worldly issues that we deal with, still it is true that we do not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from your mouth, O God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.